You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident panelist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So I believe today it would be appropriate, outside of some news and notesy stuff, of which there isn't very much, to simply do playoff predictions. There's not that many games, but there's really nothing bigger right now than the fact that there's flipping playoffs today. Now, we won't know definitively who we're playing after today, because at the end of the day, if the Bears win, we play the Bears. That's sort of the the trump card over all this stuff. Um, But it will become somewhat of a clearer picture. We do have uh, two of the NFC games going on, so if the Bears lose, we will find out which team we're playing. And if you're just assuming the Bears are going to lose, then you could say we are going to find out who we're playing in the playoffs um, today. Basically, Rams-Seahawks is at... um, 3.40 my time, central time, if the Rams win and we assume the Bears lose, then the Rams are coming to Green Bay. That's it. They're the number six seed. If they lose, then it's very likely we're going to have the Buccaneers coming to Green Bay. If If the Seahawks win, then there's still two games to go, but there's a very high probability the Buccaneers are coming here because the Buccaneers should beat Washington and the Saints should beat Chicago. Neither of those are necessarily guarantees, and there are factors that point to the other teams winning, and I've kind of vaguely talked about it, but you know, it's what we're talking about today, so I'd rather not summarize in four seconds right now. But essentially, that's how it works, right? Once, Basically, once Rams-Seahawks is done, we have a very good idea of, of who we're playing. If the Rams win, it's probably the Rams. If the Seahawks win, it's probably the Buccaneers. That's kind of the rough breakdown, but of course, we still have to watch the... Uh, the games happen. Um, One of the biggest bits of news, and this was kind of halfway reported uh, when I recorded yesterday, but I didn't have the, nothing really was official apparently, and I I think it's now official, the Packers will allow 6,000 fans for the divisional game, which I mentioned this, it was within the last week. I said there's no reason that they shouldn't do what they're doing in New York, which is allowing some fans to play. I didn't expect them to be allowed to do it, but if you think about it, it's outdoors, and what does it hold? Nearly close to 80,000? So if you spaced everybody out roughly, I mean, granted, you can probably have groups, but if, if in general, everybody spaced out about once every 10 people, I think we're good, right? Granted, there's entrances and exits and all that kind of stuff, but yeah, there's entrances and exits at Target. I don't hear everybody crying about that. You know how crowded Target is when I go there? It's unbelievable. Everywhere I go, it's just masses of people getting unnecessary garbage they don't need talk to me about can't go to Lambeau Field. Okay. I don't think anybody believes what they say. They just say stuff, just to say stuff. But anyways, everything that I had said about the cold weather advantage, and there is a cold weather advantage, as I showed you, especially, I mean, not as much for Chicago. I don't think there is a cold weather advantage that we're going to have. It's the simple advantage that we have if the Bears win is that it's the Bears. That's it. The Bears play well in the cold. In fact, when I looked at their record, and I don't know if I told you or not, they actually have a better record than I expected. In other words, I expected a team that's been bad for most of their history to continue that trend. They were closer to having a winning record than I expected, which maybe that's unfair of me because they they have had a winning record in recent history. But still, clearly not a disadvantage, which makes sense. They're a cold-weather team as well, and when teams that are not cold-weather teams come to their cold-weather stadium and play in cold weather, Bears probably do better than average. So I'm not opposed to playing the Bears, but that entire advantage goes away. But anyways, that cold weather advantage just gets magnified. And I would say the biggest thing that's going to be an improvement, and I, I don't, I'm not, what am I, what's, how do I say this? I genuinely believe this. I'm not just saying this. The defense is going to get the biggest bump. I've, I've stated this several times. It's, it's no joke. And I I had said all along that I think a big part of the reason the defense was struggling was because of the lack of fans. I gave the example of when I went to the Lions game and how the Lions rushed to the line of scrimmage on third downs because it took the people at Lambeau Field 10 minutes to get revved up, which drove me nuts because I literally didn't sit down. If you were listening to the podcast back then, I lost my voice for like a week. I shouldn't say literally. I did sit down, but not, not when they were playing, right? As long as the defense is on the field, if it's first, second, third down, you just, just stay up because guess what? There's going to be another play coming soon. 
But when they rushed to the line of scrimmage and got a playoff before the, the crowd got loud, they always had a play. Always. Every single time. If they couldn't do that, if they couldn't rush to the line of scrimmage and the, the crowd got really, really loud, I'm telling you, the defense stopped them every single time. They feed off of that energy. I'm telling you. Now, I don't know what 6,000 people is going to provide on the, uh, on the old noisometer, but I, I tend to think that it's going to be a pretty loud crowd. At least it should be. And just having the cheering. And, and, and that's another example. Remember, uh, I forget what game it was, but I remember Matt LaFleur being really mad at low energy, and he said that last final drive when the defense finally had their first good stand, and I think there was a big sack in that play, said that was the first time the sideline actually came alive and started cheering for their team. So imagine that. Everybody's just kind of going boo through the whole game, just sitting there doing their own thing, not really caring. On that final drive, your teammates are on the sideline. Not 6,000 people, just your teammates screaming and cheering, let's go, let's go, and the defense comes up big. I'm just saying they feed on that energy. It's not just, you know, it's so loud that they can't hear the snap and the offense gets discombobulated. I'm sure there's a there's a factor there. But I'm telling you, this defense, especially these pass rushers, man, they feed off that energy. I think Zadarius Smith has a direct pipeline. There's like a special part in his brain that gets triggered when, you know, cheers get real loud. I don't know if it's something from his childhood or something. Maybe it brings him back to when his family would cheer for him. I don't know what it is, but he just goes to Zadarius 2.0. So I, I think that's big, and to be completely honest, I hope we get 6,000 uh, next week, and I hope we can double that the week after. People in hospitals are getting vaccines in massive doses. I work at a hospital. Pretty much everybody I know there has gotten vaccinated. Why don't you just let vaccinated people go? You can't tell me there aren't 12,000 hospital workers in Wisconsin that, that exist, that wouldn't go. Granted, I think you got to get that second shot, but that's coming up, I think, this next week. Be just in time, man. Just in time. Let's just pack it. Every single person in Wisconsin that got vaccinated is mandatory. It's mandatory. You have to go. Why not? The government tells us what to do in every other facet of our lives these days. Why not just force people to go into Lambeau Field? Use that power for good. Like rounding up citizens and sending them to a <laughs> stadium. <laughs> if you can't laugh, you're going to cry. So just laugh with me. Let it out. But it is great news, and I do hope that um, there's a good amount of volume there. I, I tend to think there probably won't be. Maybe I'm just being a pessimist, but I'm just trying to think through things. And it's like, you know how awkward it is? You know how, like, when you go somewhere and there's a performance, everybody kind of waits for that first person to clap before they start clapping. And there's, like, that awkward silence beforehand where it's like, should we clap? Are we supposed to clap? Well, I'm not going to clap if nobody else is clapping. I'm not going to be that idiot that claps and then nobody claps. You know it's true. I know that you know it's true because literally everywhere I go, there's always just one guy that kicks it off. Now, sometimes it's kind of awkward where one guy kicks it off and then, like, two people pick it up and then, yeah, and then, like, everyone else is like, eh, I don't know about that. And then there's, like, a little ripple of a clap over in the right corner of the room that dies out. And it's like, well, that was awkward. And then you kind of feel bad, like, the poor guy. I mean, that's more embarrassing than just not doing it because then you feel like it's just sort of the, the decorum of the room is that we don't clap here. But we have, of course, we appreciate what you did. It was marvelous. But if, like, two people clap and then it dissipates, it feels like the whole room was like, nah, that was trash. <laughs> I'm not clapping for that. I feel like at the stadium, it's going to be kind of a similar thing, right? It's you and a friend, and there's nobody for 40 miles around you. And you hear, like, one rabid guy in the corner who the whole time is, Let's go! Let's go! And you're like, I don't really want to be that guy. And so you kind of just sit there and clap, like, yay, Packers! You know, but you don't want people to actually hear your voice because that would be embarrassing. You know, I feel like if, if it's in a bigger stadium and everybody's screaming because everybody else is screaming, then you kind of just blend in with the crowd, which is what most people want to do. Now, maybe if this was like Philadelphia or New York where people don't care and they're just born kind of loud and obnoxious, that would be fine. I think in Green Bay where, you know, you got that mid Midwest nice politeness thing going on, we're too concerned about what everybody else feels. I don't want to disturb that guy way over there. He's going to think I'm weird, and I'll just I'll just clap with my gloves on. I just, I'm just saying. I don't know. I'm hoping that doesn't happen. If you're going, stop being nice. Pretend you're an obnoxious Eagles fan. Don't throw glass bottles, but otherwise be an obnoxious Eagles fan. I'd rather you take it too far and start swearing at the other team than to just sit there and do nothing. Although, maybe cool it with that because it's very empty and they're definitely going to hear your voice saying that and they're going to know who said it and that could cause problems for you i'm just saying if you had to choose one take it too far i don't know why it would have to be all or nothing but if it does go ahead and tell him dominican sui's fat or something i you know whatever whatever you're feeling in the moment
Who am I to tell you your truth, right? Hey, Aaron Rodgers gave a half a million to the Barstool Fund. Nice. Granted, that's like me giving $4, but still, it's a lot of money, so good for him. I just looked it up yesterday, because I wanted to see, like, how much money Snacks Harrison has made. I don't remember why I was looking it up. I feel like it might have even been while I was doing the podcast. But I was talking about how he just kind of has this I don't care kind of money. And I was like, well, how much money does he make? He's been a nose tackle. He couldn't have made that much. No, he's made a lot of money. Figured nose tackles, especially, you know, he started back in 2012. What's he making, like 100 grand or something? Barely cracking six figures. I'm being sarcastic, but no, he's, he's uh, all told in cash, as in money actually paid out, not including what's still coming and contractual things that he missed out on. In cash, in his bank, $43.6 million. So yeah, he doesn't care. And if he says, I don't want to play here, I want to go win a Super Bowl, and if I can't find a fit, then I'm just going to go home to my kids, which he talked about in his press conference, like that's his piece, he called it. He just That's where he gets to like shut the world off and go home and wrestle with his kids and just have fun. I get that, 100%. And it's I, I understand not caring. Dude, listen, the, the reason I beg you guys, the reason I've stripped myself of any dignity so that I beg you for a dollar a month, is because I dream of a day when I don't have to go to work and I can stay home and wrestle with my kids and then just come on here and talk about football for a while and that, that pays my bills. So yeah, I understand having... Actually, I don't understand him. I don't know how he has $43.5 million in the bank and he still goes to work. <laughs> I don't. Go home to your... Well, no, win a Super Bowl and then go home to your kids, dude. But anyways, from there, I was like, okay, well, what's Rogers gotten paid out in cash so far? And obviously tax takes a massive chunk out of this. But Aaron Rodgers, we're talking, again not including money that's still coming his way, $240.9 million. So that half a million dollars brings it down to $240.4 million. <laughs> 240, man. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not kidding. If Aaron Rodgers could pay my salary, he could just pay me to do this job. If he liked me for any reason, he could pay me to do this job, full salary and benefits for the rest of his life, and he wouldn't even feel it. Think about it. If my pay and benefits were $150,000 a year, let's just say, that's my salary, it's health insurance, and, you know, a couple things with taxes or whatever. I don't know. I don't know what the actual cost was. And he did that for 30 years. It's $4.5 million. That's all it is. For 30 years. He could triple that and he wouldn't feel it. By the way, by the time his contract is done, he's going to have $313.9 million in the bank. Again, minus tax. I, I, I just need Rogers to like me. That's all I need. I need to get Rogers on Patreon. Be like, dude, just... I mean, he could accidentally give me $1,000 a month, couldn't he? Rogers' accountant could hook me up with that and just be like, ah, don't worry about it, he won't notice. <laughs> Granted, that's illegal and immoral. I'm just saying it's a thing that could happen. I'm not saying I want him to. I'm not saying if he's listening, he should consider it. Maybe consult his lawyer. I'm not saying that. I'm sorry. <laughs> it is a lot of money, though, isn't it? Crazy. Good for him, man. Good for him. By the way, that is an option. You can see somebody with a lot of money and be happy for them. I don't know if you knew that. You should try it out. It's pretty cool. By the way, if you couldn't tell, I slept in till 6 today, so I'm a little extra rambly. I literally just had somebody reach out and was like, hey, man, I appreciate the fact that you're less rambly lately, and um, you're kind of staying on point and delivering some great content. Then I go ahead and sleep in till 6, and I just lost him forever. Anyways, why don't we just take a break here. Hopefully, when we come back, we'll... It'll hopefully keep me a little focused if I can just stay in the numbers, stay focused. We'll rip through these three games, and then we'll call it a day. If possible, I'd like to make a prediction video on YouTube, as well as record my uh, my mock draft for next Monday. Pretty unlikely all that happens, but that's that's my plan. Pack underscore, no, pack underscore daddy is Twitter. Pack daddy NFL is YouTube. There's so many things. Too many things. Again, well, two things. Number one, in the Facebook group, which all of you should be in by now, unless you've done away with Facebook, in which case, you know, whatever. There's a link right at the top, or at least it was at the top. It's got everything you need. If you want to donate, if you want to find one of these other avenues or channels, it's all there. Second thing, Facebook is unrolling, uh, unraveling tons of new features. One of the things they're allowing is they're allowing administrators slash, you know, whatever to help run Facebook groups, not just pages. I don't know if I actually need that, but I thought it would be kind of cool because I've got a really cool team assembled of people, and I just like having, like, a crew if anybody's interested in, like, taking ownership of that group, and I know there's a lot of people in there, raise your hand and um, climb aboard because we're having fun. Not a lot is required of you. The group runs itself. It's probably the easiest of all the jobs that I have delegated, but it um, would be nice to kind of have somebody take the, take the reins there. Just a thought. 
Anyways, I'm not going to plug any more stuff because I've been rambly enough, so let's just take a break. We'll come back and we'll do what I said we were going to do about 45 hours ago. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So first of all, I was uh, told I'm required to go on a little bit of a tirade about the uh, whole Pro Bowl, All Pro, whatever stuff. I don't need. Listen, I've said pretty consistently that I don't care. The only thing that bothers me is that it affects the players. Um, I, again, and, and this has been my consistent thing, we need to stop caring about it. I mean, on a on a major level. Um, the, the only reason it kind of sucks is, is guys have made their careers on this. I mean, when you go back and look at guys historically, you look at how many times they've been all pro. How many Pro Bowl, right? He had oh, four Pro Bowl seasons and three all pro seasons from the years of da-da-da-da. I mean, it's like a major highlight. And so it... it it takes on major weight, and it's it's fiat. It's fake. It's nothing. It 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 only holds value because we give it value. And it's again, it's hard to take it away. It's similar to the Nobel Prize. I think you know at one point it meant something, and now it doesn't. Now we just start handing them out, and so it completely devalues everybody that's earned it rightly in the past by turning it into some you know political stupid thing or Academy Awards exact same thing. Go back and look at the Academy Award winners. From the 90s and the 80s and the 70s and the 60s, they're all the biggest films ever. They're all unbelievable films. Look at the recent winners. The, the movies are garbage. Nobody has even seen them. And again, it devalues what it had over time. I don't know if this was ever a, if they ever had a good system. Maybe it's always been this stupid. But I do tend to think that it's probably similar to all those other things. You get into these, I don't want to say political, but you know, it's, it's just, it's groupthink. Which I think is kind of the same, you know, political groupthink, whatever, depending on the sector you're in. It's all groupthink. We all think we're on the same page, but it's because we talk to eight people and we don't realize that there's a whole world out there that disagrees. And so I do think that this is a lot of groupthink with people that work in an office building with a bunch of other writers and they all talk to each other. And and the, the obviously painfully apparent thing is that on the spectrum of people that are in the know, I mean, you've got... NFL evaluators, right? Let's say pro personnel staff. You got GMs and their staff. These guys know their stuff. Then you have, and and it's probably going to upset people, you have groups like Pro Football Focus. What is Pro Football Focus? It It is a pro scouting organization that just happens to release their information to the public for money. But they're a pro scouting organization that grades every single player, every single snap. I think beneath that, you have rabid fans that, that uh, do pay attention and then you work all the way down to sports writers who take a cursory look at statistics and then kind of marry that with names. So, for example, Zadarius Smith was not a big name last year. His statistics, not the big flashy ones, right? The, the sacks were relatively high. 
But if you look at, for example, the pressure rates, um, what he did against the run, all the little nuanced things, he, he was maybe the best pass rusher in football last year, but nobody knew who he was. This year, he actually regressed. If anything, probably going to upset some people. I don't know that he belongs in the Pro Bowl conversation. He's close, but he, I mean, he's, you know, his, his pressures are not good. His run defense has been not good. But he gets in. Why? Because now he's a big name and he's still got a bunch of sacks. Jair, he's not a big name yet. He'll probably get in next year because now everybody's talking about him. But not a lot of people knew about Jair, right? He's not a, a household name like Richard Sherman or, Dur- or Dur- Darrell Revis. He's not like one of those names yet, Charles Woodson. He's just building it. So, so this is the year he builds up his name. Next year, if he gets a bunch of stats, he could probably get in. This year, he doesn't have a household name, and and, and when they scroll through their list of stats, when you look at a DB, what are their pass breakups, tackles, and interceptions, and that's it. He doesn't lead the league in interceptions. We don't know his name all that well. He doesn't make it. That's it. The level of shallowness to people who get in or not is pathetic. And the fact that we put any weight into this, and the fact that we all lose it on Twitter just gives them more value. Jair Alexander wasn't snubbed because he didn't lose anything. Jair is the best corner in football. That doesn't change one iota because these idiots who don't know anything about football didn't vote for him. Seriously, I mean, Aaron Rodgers got in because he got hot at the end and because Mahomes got cold at the end, and he probably almost lost it to the Buffalo Bills quarterback who has been wildly inconsistent but was dominant down the stretch because it's all about who's popular in the moment, and we want to do the popular thing. And I've been hearing a lot. It's basically people who sit around and watch ESPN all day who come to their conclusions. And ESPN has been hyping up Josh Allen. They've been talking about Josh Allen, how great Josh Allen is, and, and people on Twitter are saying, we got to put Josh Allen in the conversation. And so they start talking about putting Josh Allen in the conversation. Some people vote for Josh Allen. When the fact of the matter is Josh Allen has not been in the same universe as Aaron Rodgers this year. Down the stretch, sure. If you look at some of the, the lazy statistics, sure. But you're not accounting for how many games he's been wildly inconsistent and downright bad. Because we just block that out. There's no actual thought process going into this. We've watched ESPN for hours on end, and we saw the highlight reels of Josh Allen throwing these 70-yard bombs to Stephon Diggs. And it's like, ooh, we should put him in. It's just, it's such a tenuous and stupid thing. But of course, Aaron Rodgers gets it because he, was, he stayed hot at the end. If he would have had a couple bad days, he probably wouldn't have got in because that's all it takes. Um, Devontae... Obviously, he's a big name. He's been a big name for a while. He had a historic season in the same year in which there really wasn't an elite dominant big name next to him. I mean, you had Justin Jefferson, but he didn't have a chance. He's a rookie. Um, Some other big name, you know, Stephon Diggs, maybe. But I'm talking about like Michael Thomas, Julio Jones. If those guys would have had even slightly comparable years, they probably would have got in over Devontae because they're bigger names, especially if they had something like more touchdowns, despite the fact that he was injured. If, 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 if they were even tied for touchdowns, it doesn't matter that, that Devontae was injured and let's say Julio wasn't. It wouldn't matter. It's, it's, it's so basic and simplistic and stupid, and I, I genuinely just hate it with a passion. I really do. I mean, I'm, I'm dead serious. When PFF comes out with their list of the best players, that is infinitely better than what this this Pro Bowl nonsense is. It just is, because it's correct. It's based on their performance every single snap, every single play. Not based on them sitting around eating Cheetos, watching ESPN, writing stories they don't know anything about. I mean, they, man, and, and, I, and I don't know if this, he's probably not a, a voter, but there was this guy in Seattle, and I, I don't, you know, I don't really like picking on people on Twitter and whatnot or whatever, but he was saying the dumbest stuff, and he's got a, he's got a blue check mark, I think he works for NBC Sports in Seattle covering the Seahawks, and he just kept going off about their rookie linebacker. And everything he said was so unbelievably stupid. I just, I tried to be as nice as I could, but it was so stupid. He literally posted an article that, P, or, or no, an article citing PFF, and the whole premise is he's better than Patrick Queen, leaving out the part where Patrick Queen via PFF is basically the worst linebacker in football. And their linebacker, Jordan Brooks, is the third worst player on their own defense. But he, he went on a multi, he, he went on several, he wrote articles about it, like two different articles about Jordan Brooks and how great he is, just nitpicking little stats here and there. He's been horrible. That isn't to say he can't be good in the future. I'm, I'm not saying that. But I mean, what, what, how, how do these people have jobs? I don't understand. Dude, I, I have a full-time job and kids and all this stuff that I got to do. And it's not just me, it's, it's all of you listening, too. You, you could all do a better job than what he just did. 
But again, you start with the end in mind. The point is, I'm going to prove that Jordan Brooks is great, and then I'll just fill in from there. Rather than starting with an empty slate and actually learning something, and then telling people what it is you've learned. No, I'm going to assume something that I want to be true, and I'm going to tell the fans what they want to hear. And that's, that's my starting point, and I'll just fill in the words from there. It's such garbage. And I'm sure there's great writers out there, and I'm sure there's some of these people who are voters that really know their stuff. Maybe, I don't know, did Jair get a single vote? If he did, then that one guy is the only one that knows his stuff. Look at how many people voted for Jair. That's the maximum number of people that know something. Because nobody, not one person that didn't vote for Jair, knows a single thing about football, period. So I'm not, I'm not trying to attack all writers and journalists and all that stuff. We're all kind of in the same group of people pushing out content. Some are great, some are not. But it's just, it's pathetic that, that we give so much credence to things based on what? Why are these voters given the power to vote on this stuff? Did they have to take a test? Shouldn't they have to take a test? They should have to take a test every year to, to prove their football aptitude. They should have, I mean, beyond that, they should publish their findings. If we're going to give them this much power, and it, 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 again, they shouldn't have any power. We shouldn't care about what they think. But if we're going to give them this much power over these players, and I mean, again, look how much they care. Zadarius will not let it go. He's still upset. Bakhtiari, still upset about all the times he got left out. They genuinely care about this stuff. And again, part of it is financial. There's incentives involved. Part of it is, is historical. I mean, guys like Bakhtiari probably should have little little asterisks saying they went to the Pro Bowl and, and the little asterisk and the, the plus sign next to it saying all pro pretty much every year of his career. But he doesn't. And when people who don't know him go back and look, they'll go, oh, look, he won three times. Because a bunch of people that know nothing about football decided to just check a box. I'm, 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 if I had any power whatsoever, I would lead a crusade to blow that thing up. And I, I think we should still have it. But there needs to be a system, there needs to be criteria. And to be honest, we should have a computer do it. Not people. Because there should be a strict criteria that all we do is we take the information, we plug it into a computer, and it spits out results for us. Because people are stupid and they don't know what they're doing, and they're biased. One person didn't vote for Devante. Why? Why? What, what reason? What reason do you have for leaving Devontae out of the conversation to not, not even vote for him? Again, publish your findings. Tell me why. How much you want to bet he's a Bears fan or a Vikings fan or, or some kind of a Green Bay or, or whatever? Possibly, possibly an Aaron Rodgers loyalist who just thinks that Aaron Rodgers just made him what he is, which is so stupid. That whole argument, by the way, either way, well, Aaron Rodgers made Devontae or Devontae makes Aaron Rodgers, it's stupid. There are really good quarterbacks who don't have wide receivers. There are really good wide receivers who don't have good quarterbacks. They're always just good no matter what. If Aaron Rodgers made Devontae who he is, why doesn't he make MVS Devontae? Why doesn't he make um, Lazard Devontae? Why isn't Tunyon Kelsey? Because those guys aren't those guys. Devontae is Devontae. Devontae's dominant because he's Devontae. Same with Aaron Rodgers. Well, Devontae made Aaron Rodgers. Um, Devontae has not even been, what, maybe half of his career he's had Devontae? Devontae doesn't help him make pinpoint throws, make smart decisions at the line, none of that stuff. It's so, it's so stupid. And again, this is, this is what people say. And I have a feeling that's probably one of the voters that was a big part of his reason for not doing it. Well, he's got Aaron Rodgers. It's so stupid. Dominant wide receivers leave and go somewhere else, and they're still good. Look at Allen Robinson. He's been a good wide receiver. He stays a good wide receiver. He's, been, he's probably having the best year of his career this year. Has nothing to do with Trubisky at all. It, it doesn't work. Good players are good players. That's it. Anyways. Well, I promised you a five-minute rant. How was that? Was that good enough for you? <laughs> Ranty day. Good thing it's a weekend, so I don't have to cut this off and say, well, we don't have time to talk about the playoffs. Okay, let's get started. Here we go. Half hour into this bad boy. The noon game, Colts and Bills. I, I'm, I'm actually really excited about this, partially because I haven't actually seen a lot of Bills games. I mean, I've got, like, red zone, so I can see, like, when they're about to score. But just sitting down and watching a full Bills game, it's going to be kind of nice. Also, same with the Colts. I mean, really, pretty much any team except the Packers. I've seen highlights and red zone stuff. But I I, I do admire the Colts. I feel like the Colts are kind of like, you know, uh, strangely enough, the Chargers. Not because of Rivers necessarily. But there's certain teams out there that I look at and say, man, if they could get their act together... Man, that'd be a really good team. But there's always just those couple little lingering things, and they just can't quite get to the next level. I think Rivers is part of the issue there. But there, there really are too good to be where they're at. Um, you look back a couple years ago at how dominant their defense was. It helped them to get into the playoffs. If they can recapture a little bit of that, I mean, the, the offense has as much potential as any offense in football, which is part of the reason why in my upcoming mock I, I 
push a little bit for a quarterback. Spoiler alert. I think you're supposed to say that beforehand. But anyways, I mean, really, again, road grading offensive line. They're, they're running back. I mean, he's, he's, as I said earlier before the season started, I was more scared of the Colts than just about anybody. Primarily because you, you look at the Packers' struggles against the run, which I don't know if that's as big of an issue as it was. Uh, we haven't exactly had a 49ers-type game, well, against Tampa, but it was it was different. It wasn't just running the ball type stuff. Anyways, this offensive line, this road-grading, mauling offensive line with Jonathan Taylor running behind it, I feel like it finally happened, like it's finally clicking, which we know these things take time. Look at how long it took for kind of Matt LaFleur to get the offensive line going. It's not just the offensive line. The running back has to know how to operate behind this offensive line. So you get those guys going, you get the running back up to speed, and again, the guy ran for 250 yards last week. And really, he's been dominant for a while now. I mean, if you go back, I mean, against Green Bay, it was 4.1 yards per carry. Not all that impressive, but not bad. Since then, 7 yards per carry against Houston. 7.5 yards per carry, 20 carries, 150 yards uh, against the Raiders, as well as two touchdowns. And by the way, at that point, so prior to this game, he had four total touchdowns. He gets two against Las Vegas. Then he goes to Houston, 16 carries, 83 yards, 5.2 yard average, and a touchdown. Then against Pittsburgh, 18 carries, 74 yards, 4.1 average, and two touchdowns. And then against Jacksonville, 30 carries, 253 yards, 8.4 yard average, two touchdowns. He got 10 first downs, seven carries of 10 or more yards, seven, 4.8 yards after contact, 144 yards after contact. His longest was 56 yards. He had five avoided tackles. I mean, just absolutely dominant. And in fact, if you just look at his grades since week 11 against Green Bay, that's when it clicked. His grades before then were 60s and 50s and just just kind of middling. It just it didn't click, and then something very, very clearly clicked week 11. As of right now, based on what he's done recently, he's one of the highest-graded running backs in all of football, just based on the second half of the season. So, yeah, I think they're absolutely underrating this team, especially when you look at a Buffalo Bills team that's primarily going to try to grab the ball and just launch it down the field. And what is Indy, what is Indy going to do? They're going to control the clock. They're going to run and run and run and run. If they're able to get 30 carries out of Jonathan Taylor, which at 5'11", 221, that's why you get a guy like that. This big body guys that can handle a beating. And if you're saving him up through the year, which they mostly did, and I don't know if they were legitimately trying to save him or if he just wasn't quite ready yet, but now they're ready to unleash him. He got it, saw his, well, no, he had 26 against Minnesota, but he didn't start getting about 20-ish carries until Green Bay. Then he had 20 against Las Vegas, 18 against Pittsburgh, and again, 30 against Jacksonville. I think that is their plan moving forward. It needs to be. This is the strength of your team. Your, your, again, your offensive line is built to, to run block. They're not bad pass blockers, but these are maulers up front. And, and Jonathan Taylor is a guy that's built to just handle a heavy load. And you don't want the Buffalo Bills to get the ball in their hand. They want to run up the score. They want to score 50 points. Don't let them. By the way, um, the Buffalo Bills, again, everybody's focused on the offense and how great this Stephon Diggs and, and Josh Allen connection is. The offense is really clicking. The weakness of this team has been the defense. Without, without any question. Now, granted, the second half of the season, it's been a little bit better, um, but a lot of that has to do with playing really bad team. So only 17 points, but that was to the Chargers. Chargers are not good. They allowed 24 to the 49ers, not that impressive. 15 to the Steelers when they're in the midst of their absolute collapse. 19 to the Broncos, who are a garbage offense. 9 to the Patriots is relatively impressive, but still the Patriots are struggling. 26 to 56 against the Dolphins obviously is a massive blowout, but still 26 to the Dolphins is kind of mediocre. But it's worse than that. Not only does the defense struggle, but they are ranked 26th in their ability to stop the run. 26th. The game plan for the Colts could not be any more clear. If, we, if you could give them the ball 40 times, I'd give them the ball 40 times. Now, the the um, Colts are currently ranked 14th in rushing, but again, that's that's on the entire season. Clearly, this has clicked in the second half of the season, and they are a dominant, dominant running team, which is which should be their identity. And the fact is, they're they're seeing their identity right now. Beyond that, this is the second best rushing defense in football. We all know about Tampa Bay and how good they are at stopping the run, um, and Indy isn't really known as a dominant defense. I don't think they have the best pass rushers in the world or any of that. But again, this this is this is how. And really, this is kind of what's scary, and and as Packer fans, we know this. When you have a team that is primarily based around a passing offense, and that's pretty much all you do, right? You don't run the ball all that well. I'm not talking about necessarily now. I'm talking about historically, right? We understand this style of offense. Dominant, dominant, dominant quarterback and wide receiver, and you just tear up the league that way. But defense is kind of good and bad, iffy. 
Running the ball is kind of iffy. The, the hardest games for teams like the Packers is teams like the 49ers, a stout defense that's going to force you to be one-dimensional. We're not going to let you run the ball at all. We're going to dominate you in the trenches. We're going to completely frustrate you, and it's just going to shock you. By the time halftime comes, you've scored three points. It's 3-7 to seven at halftime, and we're leading. And it's just, it's everybody's stunned, and we don't know what to do. The point is, you got to take them out of their game. The, the, the Bills have been dominating everybody by dominating everybody. Right? We, that's, and that's what the Packers have done historically. We win when you let us play our game, which is we're just going to throw the ball a billion times. You can't stop us. We're going to score a bunch of touchdowns. We're going to laugh while we're doing it. Take them out of their game. Slow the game down. Smash their defense right in the mouth. Their defense is not that good. It really isn't. Their defensive front is very, very lacking. They have one very good pass rusher who's about 35 years old, and that's not hyperbole. Otherwise, it's not that great. They've got that rookie that they drafted that every every Packer fan wanted very desperately. He's been absolutely horrible. What is his name? Ed Oliver, legitimately one of the worst defensive linemen in football. Um, and if you just look at the worst players on this team, it's mostly linebackers and defensive linemen. A.J. Klein, starting linebacker. Tremaine Edmonds, starting linebacker. Ed Oliver, starting defensive tackle. Linebacker, linebacker, defensive tackle. Jerry Hughes is that guy off the edge who's very, very good. Now, the problem is very, very good pass rusher, horrific run defender. If you look at the guys on this team that are actually good at stopping the run, um, that actually play any amount of snaps, cornerback, safety, cornerback, cornerback, safety, cornerback. <laughs> that's that's in order. The highest graded run defense grade for any player with at least you know some modicum of snaps is Justin Zimmer, defensive lineman with 274 snaps on the season, 65 overall grade. By the way, 36 tackling grade, and he's not a good pass rusher. Yeah, he's not bad, I guess. He has one sack. They're not built for this, man. It feels weird because Buffalo, we know Buffalo as this sort of like, I mean, Mike Pettin, right? Smash mouth. We lead with our defense. This is a different identity to this team. This isn't the Buffalo that we grew up with where it's cold and they're just violent and they're mean and they play just just real rough and gruff. This is a team that if you're going to beat them, you play that style of football. And I think Indy is built to play that way. It's just a matter of you can't let this get out of control. You have to take this by the reins. You have to run well. And I think they will. I don't know who in Buffalo is going to stop them. Again, one of the worst running defenses going up against one of the hottest running teams in football. I mean, this is like number two next to the Tennessee Titans right now. The way that they're going at this point in time, I don't know that there's a team running better other than the Titans than the Colts right now. Absolutely out of control. Dominant. So, you know, I understand saying that the Bills are going to dominate the Colts, and we're kind of just brushing this one off like it's nothing. But what I'm, what I'm saying is, and I, I do, if I had to pick, I'd say the Bills are going to win because they're a, a white-hot team, but they're, they're not perfect. And they have flaws, and to be completely honest, this is probably worst-case scenario. This is Packers going into 49ers, right? Granted, 49ers were just a better overall team. They were a dominant football team. But just in general, when you look at matchup and you say, this is not good, this is it. And it really just comes down to the Colts need to take the ball and they need to take control and say, no, we're playing this way. And what are you going to do about it? And beyond that, look, I, man, I'm, I'm on the verge of picking the Colts to win this game here. When you look at the uh, Indianapolis Colts defense, they've got some issues, right? They, they had Darius Leonard, um, who I've consistently said is one of the best linebackers in football. I stand by that, but he's having a little bit of a down year. Um, in fact, I don't maybe I don't know if he had an injury or what. He started off the season white hot, right, from weeks one through eight. And there must have been an injury in there somewhere because he didn't play f- between weeks four and eight. So I, that may have had some kind of an impact because weeks 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, and 16, he played horribly, horribly. But week 17 against Jacksonville, elite. I mean, best game of the season. So, I mean, if he's back, oh my goodness. But beyond that, forget all that. The, what do we say? The way that Buffalo wins is because their offense is so unbelievably good, especially when they throw the ball. The strength of this defense, DeForest Buckner is the top guy along the defensive line, and again, Darius Leonard in the middle. It's a good little group in the middle of the defense. But the other guys that are on top, Xavier Rhodes, Kenny Moore, Isaiah Rogers, Kari, uh, Kahari Willis, all DBs, cornerback, 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 safety. After Darius Leonard is TJ Carey, cornerback. Now, these aren't Jair Alexander guys, but imagine, like, better than any number two that we have, and they have, like, three of those guys. You know, we picked on Xavier Rhodes in Minnesota, and for good reason. He was never that good, but he's playing really well in Indianapolis. For whatever reason, they got a different system, different defense, or asking him to do something that more fits his play style, and he's doing a good job. Now, can they shut down Stephon Diggs? Probably not, but if you have good 
corners and safeties. What's to say you can't double up uh, digs and try to just take that away? And again, you've got good players at other position groups at other at, at, at cornerback to try to shut down some of the other guys. Granted, they've got a, actually a pretty good duo. I, I, again, you can't shut it down entirely, but if you can slow it down, kind of do something similar to what the, the Packers defense does, which is to say we're going to keep everything in front of us. We're going to try to erase Stephon Diggs, right? We're going to double him up. We're going to try to keep all the other stuff in front of us so that you have to force your way down the field. You, you, you're not going to be able to run the ball very well because you're not a very good running team and we're a very good run defense. So we're going to allocate our resources to the defensive back spot, right? We're going to be playing a lot of nickel, and we're going to try to do what the Packers do, which is to keep everything in front of us. If you want to throw a five-yard pass, throw a five-yard pass. We're not going to let you throw a 20-yard pass to Stephon Diggs. We're going to take that away. If they can do that, it's pretty much game over already. Because again, the Bills aren't going to be able to stop the run. I, I'm, I just, this doesn't feel good for the Bills, man. It just does not. Again, it comes down to execution. They're going to have to, if, if they can't run the ball well, right, the offensive line and the running back, that, that, that's just starting to get going a little bit. And you're going to have to get some production out of your quarterback. Phillip Rivers is, I mean, I, I better than anybody wants to give him credit for, but definitely inconsistent. And, you know, again, we're talking about a 39-year-old quarterback. You're talking about um, cold weather, right? Buffalo, 25 degrees right now. It, it's, it's not it's not ideal necessarily for their quarterback, but, but what is this ideal for? It's not ideal for launching balls 50 yards down the field. It's ideal for Jonathan Taylor smashing you in the mouth 38 times. I just, I'm, I don't know. I don't want to say the words I'm picking the Colts in this game, but if they lose, it's, it's, a, it's just an abject failure. This Everything is built for you. Everything is here for the taking for the Colts. This game is set up for the Colts to win. They got a great coach. I mean, Frank Reich is doing a fantastic job. He's not a dummy. Matt Eberflus is like the number one candidate right now for head coaching roles. They're their defensive coordinator because of what a great job he does. They're not stupid. They know what they need to do. It just comes down to execution. And again, the Colts are not a bad team. They got annihilated by the Tennessee Titans, but I think the Titans are just a better version of what the Colts are. They got beat by the Ravens, but the Ravens are just a better version of what they're, they're a running team. I know everybody thinks like, well, they're, you know, they got Lamar, they're a passing. No, they're not. They're a running team. So, I mean, it, with this style of football, it's not a team that's going to run up the score a lot. So it really is going to come down to the defense has to find a way to slow them down on the other end. And again, when they don't run the, if you're able to stop them from running the ball effectively, and they're trying to throw the ball in, in cold weather, and you're doubling up their number one guy, and you're frustrating them, hopefully able to get a little bit of pressure from guys like DeForest Buckner. I just, I really think the Colts got this one in the bag if they can just execute. I think the, the game plan, I think the matchup, I think everything is in favor of the Colts. They just have to pull the trigger. They just have to do their job. If they can control the clock, run the ball well, keep the plays on defense in front of you, force Buffalo to dink and dunk their way down the field, take away the big plays, I just, I think the Colts got this one. I just, I do. I mean, I, I again, I'm not saying I'm 100% picking them because it's it's hard to do what I'm saying to do, but I think I think I'm going to, and I'm going to sound like an idiot when the Buffalo Bills win 45 to to 17. But the Colts need to make a stand here. And again, listen, I don't think this is a team that's going to win a Super Bowl because they're going to go up against different styles of teams and, and all different kinds of things. But um, again, I, th- I really think the Buffalo Bills are just a little bit too one-dimensional. They're terrible at stopping the run. They're not a very good running team. They're just a dominant throwing team, right? This is this is Aaron Rodgers in 2011. We win because we're just so good on offense. And when I say good on offense, I mean we're, we're not good at running, but we just throw all over the yard and there's nothing you can do about it. That's great until you get into the playoffs and go up against teams that can take that one thing away and then you're just done. So I, 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 bottom line, I think it's going to be, if nothing else, it's a better game than people are expecting. It should be. It, it may not be. Maybe it gets out of hand fast. And the problem is, and, and from Buffalo's standpoint, run up the score and do it fast because this is not an offense that's going to be able to catch up. Because the second you get Indy to stop running and start throwing to try to play catch up, it's already over. They need to stay running the ball. As soon as you see them stop running the ball and start throwing all over the place to try to play catch up, it's over. So that's Buffalo's game plan. Get up fast and early. So there you go. Should be a great game. Very, very excited. Man, I can't believe it's 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 830. I'm way behind the eight ball here. We got football in just a matter of a couple hours. Nobody's even going to listen to this episode because people are getting ready for the game. Oh, that took longer than it should have. I'm just, I'm just excited because it should be a good game. And I genuinely think the Colts can win this game. That's crazy to me. It's really sad for Buffalo, though. I mean, I, Buffalo Bills fans, you guys have earned this. You deserve this. Great people. I've been to Buffalo. I, I think I mentioned it. My old college roommate was a Buffalo Bills fan. We actually drove from Whitewater, Wisconsin, to Buffalo, New York, to go watch a Bills game. 
it was a perfect Bills game. We went to the mud lot. People there were awesome. Like, they just immediately embraced us. They told us how much they love the Packers. And, oh, man, the Packers are great. We love the Packers. My kid loves Brett Favre and, you know, just brought us in and we partied with them and whatever else. Very, very giving people. Probably gave me a little bit too much. But we got inside and it was just, it was snowing, right? Just a beautiful snowfall where it filled the sky and there were these big giant flakes. Oh, it was, it was, it was perfect and uh, they've endured a lot and they've stuck by this team and they absolutely deserve um, something better than a loss to the Colts <laughs> in the first round but I just I just think that the Colts could and should wrap this one up we'll see we'll see what happens moving on also we drove to uh, St. Louis to watch a Bills game against the Rams that is much less of a party I'm glad the Rams got out of there because St. Louis sucks no offense to people that live there but oh my goodness it was the most, like, boring. I mean, first of all, there was a baseball game and a football game at the same time, and the stadiums were right next to each other, and everybody was there for the baseball game because nobody cared about the Rams. And then we got there, and we were looking to pregame, and there's literally nowhere to do it. So we did it in the in the lot, in the, in the parking structure, and we got so many dirty looks from people. And we actually had people yell at us, go back to Wisconsin, which I think they said, like, in jest, not realizing we're actually from Wisconsin because it's a Bills-Rams game. Why would you say go back to Wisconsin? Because you guys are acting like a bunch of drunks. Little did they know we're acting. But what are we supposed to do? It was like old people going into like the stadium to watch, and there was nobody in the stadium. It was a beautiful stadium. It was it was kind of sad. But we got to watch one of our guys from Whitewater. He was a kick returner at the time. Anyways, um, Rams Seahawks, another game that I think is probably going to be a good one. Although I think a lot of people expect this to be a little bit of a closer game. Bottom line, in my opinion, I, I think if it wasn't for the amount of of uh, losses, especially to the defense that the Seahawks have had in, in recent weeks. The trajectory of the Rams has been going in the wrong direction. The trajectory of the Seahawks has been going in the correct direction. But primarily, again, it's been the defense of the Seahawks that's been getting kind of good. But then again, they lose Snacks, which was, you know, somewhat by design, I guess, although Snacks is the one that said he wanted to leave. Um, Jerron Reed is hurt. He may play. Not positive, but um, that was another big thing that popped up. I don't remember. Oh, uh, the safety Jamal Adams, although I guess he is going to play. So... A lot of these guys are coming back outside of Snacks Harrison, although I think the nose tackle position is pretty well locked up. They've got a couple of good guys there, which is kind of what Snacks was alluding to. There's a lot of young, talented nose tackles there, and from his standpoint, he said he didn't want to be the guy that was taking snaps from young guys that are talented and whatnot. I mean, that that's his version of the story, whereas the Green Bay Packers, we, we don't have talented nose tackles. Uh, Kenny's technically a nose tackle, but I don't, I don't envision him that way. Talking about the 350-pound guys that are only nose tackles. But the, the interesting thing here, this is kind of how I envision both of these teams. The, the Rams' defense is the number one defense in football. That's number one. The Rams' offense is not very good. Um, you know, they, they their leadership has just not done a very good job. Jared Goff is playing some really bad football right now. And so things are starting to crumble a bit. So I, I wouldn't say they're necessarily bad, but they're, they're probably a, just a very mediocre offense which wouldn't be as big of a deal if Seattle's defense didn't become so dominant down the stretch. And dominant maybe is a bit of an overstatement, but again, this was a team that um, to start the season was seen as one of the worst defenses historically in terms of, you know, the, the amount of yards they gave up was they were about to break all kinds of records. But if you look recently, um, and by recently I mean since basically week 10, the defense has allowed 23, 21, 17, 17, 3, 15, 9, and 23. 23 is the most they've given up since their 44-point beatdown against the Buffalo Bills. One of those games was the Rams, which they actually lost because the offense only managed 16. We'll get to that. Otherwise, it was the Cardinals, the Eagles, the Giants, the Jets, Washington, the Rams again, and the 49ers. Not a bunch of super dominant teams, unless you consider the Rams dominant, which I guess I don't, but that's kind of what we're talking about, right? But I, I think for Seattle, what I see is a team that is similar to the Packers insofar as the defense is starting to get hot. The biggest difference, though, is the Packers' offense has stayed on top. Seattle's offense has completely fallen off. And that's the thing that's going to keep this interesting. Because if this was a defense that was really starting to get hot, as they are, in my opinion, not really sure how, but they're putting it together, right? Similar to what I said about the Bears. I mean, you know, on some level, you look at it and say, well, it's not good competition. On the other hand, you say, listen... Three points to an NFL football team is impressive. Nine points to an NFL football team, the Rams, that's impressive. Anything under 20 in this time period, it's a good defensive effort. It just is. The Packers have been doing it. The Seahawks have been doing it. And I'm going to give them the credit for that. But 
offensively. Remember, this was the number one offense in football for quite a while. They started the season 38, 35, 38, 31, 27, 34, 37, 34. That's how they started the season. That was their first eight games. That's exactly the halfway point. There's a bye week mixed in, but it's their first eight games. The next eight games, 16, 28, 23, 12, 40, 20, 20, 26. The only time they even cracked 30 points was their 40-point game over the New York Jets. That's it. They actually lost. They, they went 1-1 one and one to the Rams in this time period. In both of those games, they scored 16 and 20 points. That's it. They won one of them. They lost one of them. It really just came down to can the defense keep them less than. So this is a team, this is a game right now that has become a defensive battle, which is kind of surprising because it, I wouldn't have thought that that was going to be the case. But the offense has completely fallen off. Again, if this was if this was the same Seahawks team that was a dominant elite Russell Wilson with a dominant elite DK Metcalf, a team that runs the ball well and all these things, I would say, you know what, they can overcome this Rams defense and uh, the the defense that they have should be able to slow. I, I think the Seahawks win this walking away because the, the Rams are just kind of a bleh team in my opinion. But now you start talking about a defensive battle and you're going you're talking about the the well, I don't know what the, the Seahawks would be now, but it's the number one defense in football in the Rams, and you want to give them the edge. The better defense wins the defensive battle, right? But if you want to know why this should be a good battle, that's what it comes down to. The last two times they played, it was 16-23 to and 20-9. to The defense won both of those games. It's a matter of which offense could overcome the defense better. And again, sh- shocking to me, the winning teams scored 23 and 20 points. Those are the winning teams. And so when we look at the Seattle Seahawks, it really starts with Russell Wilson. And I'm, I'm not, if I was a smarter person, I would have reached out to some of the guys in fan-to-fan and gotten some answers here. But it all starts with Russ. So again, first, well, it's technically the first seven games. But here's, here's how Russell Wilson started the season. This is when he was considered maybe the best quarterback in the NFL. It was between Mahomes, Russell Wilson, and Aaron Rodgers, right? They were just neck and neck. Here are his grades. Starting in week one, 91, 88, 89, 91, 78, 84, 84. Since then, he's had some good games mixed in, but listen to this. 52, 41, 89, 79, 54, 82, 76, 64, 65. He started off the season just being dominant every single week. I think his his worst game in that early stretch was a 78.8 was his grade. Since the bad stretch... He's only had four out of, let's see, four, eight, nine. Four out of nine games in which he didn't grade out badly. Four out of nine, meaning five out of nine, he was average or worse. And yes, when you're Russell Wilson, I'm going to call average bad. Let's get a little bit more specific. Let's look at how he ranked in the NFL. In the first eight weeks, Russell Wilson was the number one quarterback in football with a 95 overall grade. Un. Flippin' believable. Aaron Rodgers was number two with a 92.7 overall grade. I, I'd mentioned this before. The, back in time, a 92 overall grade as a quarterback, you were easily the best quarterback in football. Tom Brady had a 92.1. He was third. <laughs> Pat Mahomes had an 89.1. He was fourth in the NFL. Absolutely insane. Russell Wilson, 95. That's crazy. We're talking nearly perfect. Since that time, the number one quarterback is Aaron Rodgers. overall grade. Deshaun Watson, very close, 92.1. And then if we scroll way, way, way down, let's see. We got Josh Allen, Tannehill, Mahomes, Mayfield, Brady, Stafford, Mariota, uh, Taylor Hinky in Washington. You got Kyle Allen in Washington, Lamar, Cousins, Murray, Matt Ryan, Justin Herbert. Still scrolling, C.J. Beathard, Daniel Jones, Joe Flacco, Mason Rudolph, Andy Dalton, Taysom Hill, Jacoby Brissett. Philip Rivers, John Wolford, Matt Barkley. Oh, there he is, Russell Wilson, 28th, 28th. Now, Jared Goff is ranked worst, but worse, he's 32nd. But if you want to know what's happening, and, and again, I don't really know the exact reason, this is this is massive. I mean, Russell Wilson is the guy that drags this team. That's That's been the problem all these years. He just, he's never had any help, similar to what we say about Aaron Rodgers and whatnot, but I mean, man, oh man, we we just been, he's been dragging this team for so long that when he falls off, the team is done. Now, he's finally got some help and guys like DK, but 
I don't I don't know what's happening, but this is they're not going anywhere unless Russell Wilson figures it out. And again, he's had some good games, but the last time he graded out even somewhat competently was week 15 against Washington, and then he had, you know, it was two weeks in a row. We're talking about the Jets and against Washington. Those are two terrible teams and his highest grade was an 82. In that entire stretch his highest game was an 89, which is great against Arizona, but that was week 11. His average for the season, his overall grade still is a 90.3. He hasn't had one game that high in this stretch in which he's been grading out poorly. So this is the issue, and I'll, I'll, I'll be flat out serious. I, I don't think, I don't know that they win this game, much less any other games, as long as Russell Wilson doesn't get it figured out. I mean, they have no chance, no chance whatsoever. The defense is not good. Now, they're playing really well, and I, and I get that, but they have so many holes and issues that despite the fact that they're overcoming the lack of talent and, and are putting together some great stuff, they're going to come up against teams like the Saints, like the Packers, like the Chiefs, whatever. At some point, they're going to come across an offense that's going to look at this defense and chuckle. Yeah, Jared Goff, 32nd best quarterback in football. Um, yeah, he might struggle against this defense. Right? Maybe uh, Breeze, if he's having an old man moment, might struggle a little bit. But I think Breeze, uh, Trubisky, probably struggle if, if it came to that, which I don't know why it ever would. That would be a nightmare because the only way is if they beat the Packers. But regardless, Russell Wilson has to play better if they're going to go anywhere in the playoffs. Now you say, well, again, well, Jared Goff is worse. That's true, but that's not, the team isn't winning because of Jared Goff. It's not Jared Goff dragging this team. Now, I don't think the Rams are going anywhere anyways. I don't think they're in this either, and, and largely because of Goff. But the difference is the the identity of the team that got the Rams here has nothing to do with Jared Goff. It's, it's the number one defense in football, and the, and the Seahawks do not have that. Beyond that, there's a reason you haven't heard DK Metcalf's name in a long time. The last time he had a really, really good game, 85 overall grade, was Week 12 against Philadelphia. In that game, 10 receptions, 177 yards. Since then, 80 yards, 61 yards, and a touchdown, 43, 59, and 21. In the last three weeks, 59 yards and no touchdowns was the best, and that was against L.A. Sandwiched in between 43 yards against Washington and 21 yards against San Francisco this past week. This is not the dominant elite breakout season we thought DK Metcalf was going to have. And he started off hot, 95 yards and a touchdown, 92 yards and a touchdown, 110 yards and a touchdown, 106 yards, 93 and two touchdowns. That was how he started. And it's like, here we go. Russell and DK taking over the league. And it just kind of fizzled. Again, still a dominant football player. He's still scary, 6'3", 230. I mean, he can take over a game, but he hasn't. Last time he had 100 yards and a touchdown was week nine against Buffalo. Again, 177 against Philly, touchdown or not, is, is dominant, but... Yeah, it's week 12, man. We're looking for somebody getting hot going into the playoffs, and they're cooling off. And this happened last year. By the time the Seahawks came to Green or we played the, the Seahawks, they just weren't a very scary team, and you saw it when we played them. They just looked like they were they were having their last gasp. Like, they're just not... They're hot in the beginning of the season, and they cool off at the end of the year. They're the anti-Patriots. And I've mentioned that before. The Patriots were a team. They looked real slow in the beginning, and we all laughed. Ha-ha, Patriots are finally done. And then they got hot at the end of the season, and, and look what happened. Similar to what Tom Brady is doing right now, unfortunately. Um, Chris Carson, running back. Exact same thing. Very good running back through Week 12. And he missed a bunch of time, but Weeks 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 7, Week 6 is their bye. And then he missed some time, came back 12, picked up right where he left off. Since then, his grades, 69, 64, 63, 51, 64. He has not had one good game since Week 12. Since week 12 ended. I mean, I guess on a yards per carry basis, they he did okay up until the last three weeks. Again, the last three weeks, they just are not doing anything. 15 carries, 63 yards, no touchdowns. 15, uh, 16 carries, 69 yards, no touchdowns. 11 carries, 44 yards, no touchdown. He's averaging 4.8 a carry on the season. Probably about 4.1-ish the last three weeks. Just blech. And really, even on the whole season, I mean, grades 70 and above, uh, week 7, 4, 12, 2, and 5. Five games a whole season. So th this is the issue, right, overall. And uh, Tyler Lockett, same thing. Tyler Lockett's been, I mean, he had a good game against San Francisco, but he's had, since week 4, four good games. And they're perfectly evenly spaced out. So I don't expect him to have another good game for another three weeks. That's the issue, right? They've got a really good tackle in Dwayne Brown. They've got DK who's falling off. You got Russell who hasn't had a good game in a while. You got Chris Carson who hasn't had a game in a while. You have Tyler Lockett who hasn't had a good game in a while. The offense has lost its rhythm entirely. And so I, I don't necessarily even have a prediction. The fact of the matter is it's again it's a defensive performance and it's gonna come down to who can out defense the other. 
I don't think there's necessarily a big home field advantage thing. I think if anything, you're just looking at the fact that these are divisional opponents. Anything can happen. They're one and one in the regular season, both very boring games, very defensive games. Which defense can dominate the other? And I, you know, I mean, they got Seattle's got Bobby Wagner, who's a good linebacker. Uh, you got Puna Ford, who's again a nose tackle, two, uh, 310 pounds. He's a big dude. He's a good football player. K.J. Wright has been uh, really having a good second half of this season. I'll never really understand the Rams' success and how they do it. Obviously, they have the number one, probably the one of the best defensive players in football, if not the best, uh, along their defensive line. They don't have a whole lot else, but, you know, they make it work with what they have. Obviously, they, they must have a really good defensive coordinator as well that, that knows how to put this whole thing together, but that really is what it comes down to. You have a Rams team that is just an elite defense and a middling, kind of boring not great offense, and Seattle has kind of become that. The reason I lean toward the Rams is just because the Rams are going to continue to play into their identity. The The Seahawks, their identity is falling away. Unless we still want to pretend that their identity is Legion of Boom and then, hey, we're finally back to our identity. I think that's nonsense. I think Russell Wilson completely falling off and, and them not playing to their identity, them trying to be what they are and they can't, just feels like it's a team that's they're not going to get it done. Even though I think Seattle's better, and I I understand Seattle being, everything in me says pick Seattle because they're a better football team. They're scarier on offense. Their defense is hit, getting right at the right time. Something about watching their offense melt away tells me they're not going to get the job done, especially when the offense melts away going up against a buzzsaw in the number one defense in football. I, you know, again, it's, it's basically a coin toss, but just that little tidbit has me leaning Rams in this game. Man, it is going to be kickoff time by the time I publish this. We're an hour in. we still got one more game. So we'll leave it at that. Moving right along. Where are we? So many tabs. So many tabs. By the way, uh, I should have been saying this all along. The Buffalo Bills, six and a half point favorites. At the very least, I'm I'm picking the uh, the Colts to cover the spread. I don't know. It's it's tough to pick them to win, but I would definitely pick the, the Colts. Um, and then the Seattle Seahawks, three-point favorites. That, that Again, that makes sense to me. They feel like the better team. Three points feels realistic, especially when you give them the home field and all that. And now moving along to Buccaneers-Washington. Buccaneers, eight-point favorites in this game. Um, you know, As I've said a thousand times now, I wish I could report to you that, that Tom Brady is slowing down as the season rolls on, his old age kicking in, the arthritis, the diabetes, all that stuff. Um, he is the best quarterback in football over the last quarter of the season, and I don't really think it's close. Let me check here. The second highest overall grade is Deshaun Watson at 90.3. Tom Brady has a 94.1 the last four weeks. He's playing out of his absolute ever-loving mind right now. So, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Tampa Bay coming to Green Bay, although it feels like that's what's going to happen. I think that would be probably a good place to start. 43.4 years old. Um Tom Brady's, let me verify, uh, not quite. Basically, the way that this has worked, and, and a lot of people have been talking for a while about, um, you know, bad games by Tom Brady, and it's it's very real and very evident. You can see it here. Even week one, granted, he had a 77 overall grade, but you're looking at 239 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions, and he does have quite a few interceptions, um, especially starting the season, but real inconsistent, right? So 77 grade, 89, 73, 88, 68, and then 79, 90, 82, then 57. This is where it starts to get real inconsistent. You feel like he's starting to starting to fall off, right? 82, 57. Against New Orleans, 209 yards, no touchdowns, three picks. Ha, 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 you old loser. See ya, sucka. Then he comes back against Carolina, 341 yards, three touchdowns, no interception. Shucks. Then he goes up against the Rams, 54 overall grade, 216 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Ha! See? He's inconsistent now. A 15, then a 70, then a 50. Then he goes up against Kansas City, three touchdowns, two picks, 74 overall grade. You know, not bad, but still kind of bad, so ha ha. Plus it's, again, 80, 50, 70, 50, 74. And it's like, all right, here comes the 50. Goes up against Minnesota, about 200 yards, two touchdowns, 80 overall grade. Atlanta, 390 yards, two touchdowns, no interceptions, 87 overall grade. Detroit, 348 yards, four touchdowns, no interception, 93 overall grade. Atlanta, 399, four touchdowns, one pick, 90 basically overall grade. Now, granted, hit Minnesota when they're basically giving up. Hit Atlanta when they've given up. Hit Detroit when they've completely given up. Hit Atlanta when they've given up. And a lot of teams at the end, I mean, they were just... We saw so many teams get just obliterated down the stretch. Just obliterated. right? The Packers had the benefit of going up against two teams that are fighting desperately for playoffs and all this other stuff. 
We didn't get the luxury of facing the Lions when they were focusing on trying to find a GM. We didn't have that luxury. Or Atlanta, who had fired their staff. Or Detroit, or... or well, they faced Atlanta twice. So there, there's a little bit of that, like, yeah, I don't know. But still, I mean, the guy's throwing about a pick a game, and then the last four weeks he throws, uh, let's see, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 touchdowns in one pick. Yikes. Also ended the season. I mean, I, you know, he's throwing maybe 250 yards a game-ish, just kind of eyeballing this. End of the season, 390, 348, and about 400 yards. Again, Atlanta, one of the worst defenses in football, so there's that. Also Detroit, literally one of the worst defenses in football. But still, kind of sucks a little bit. Now, the real good news here, the last time he faced an even competent defense was, in my opinion, and you can debate this, you could say Kansas City, you could say L.A., either is fine, he threw two picks in both of those games, but Kansas City was Week 12 